All right, ladies and gentlemen, and automotive enthusiasts from all around the gigantic planet that we call Earth, you did it again. You pushed play on yet another... Another privy episode of V8 Radio, Kevin. Ooh, a privy episode, he says. That, that's right. As you know, privy being uh, sharing a knowledge, almost as if you're an insider. Oh my gosh, coming from the industry guy himself. How about Very that? nice. And I, and I get the uh, the insider uh, connection. I'm Kevin Oste, your host, joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Cuball-Clark. And uh, we've got another very special guest today, uh, the host of the Automotive Aftermarket Insider podcast, Mr. Joe Sebergandio. Joe, welcome to the show. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to talking, catching up with you guys. Well, it's, uh, you've been a very busy guy, and uh, we're going to get to uh, all kinds of fun stuff in a minute. But for those who dare to uh, listen to more than one episode of the VA Radio Podcast, know that uh, we do an automotive trivia question at the beginning of each show. And then we tease our audience, and we don't reveal the answer to the very end, because that's just the way we are. So, um, Joe, because uh, you're a guest... We're gonna we're gonna ask that you go first. Have you prepared a trivia question, my friend? I have, Kevin, and I am tr- gonna try to do a little bit better than uh, Peter McGillivray's attempt at this. <laughs> Peter smoked us, by the way. Oh my so. God, he brutalized <laughs> us. It was bad. <laughs> I try not to make myself the answer uh, to trivia questions that I offer. Um, although this one does have a little bit of a closeness to home. And I'm, I'm troubled because I had two questions that I thought could be appropriate, Kevin. And selfishly, I'll take the path and use the question that includes us both. Oh, wow. My question for tonight's trivia question would be, what year the SEMA cruise officially launched at the SEMA show? Talking uh-huh. about, not about the unofficial SEMA show cruise, which has been going on forever where the locals used to put their lawn chairs out after the show on Friday and just wait for all the cars, to, especially the ones going back west, to drive by their house or their business. But when we when we organized it, promoted it, and sponsored it, what year was that? And that's the question. That is a great question. Yeah. And, uh, and Joe, of course, is the, the official organizer of the SEMA cruise. This is your baby. It's a great, great <laughs> event. And uh, because I'm a giver, I'm going to allow our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Hubal-Clark, to take the first shot. Kevin, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity <laughs> to go first. <laughs> All right. So the I know we've talked about the SEMA Cruise before and on past episodes, and we've talked about when it was just kind of an unofficial thing and when it was made official. And I'm sure you told me the year. But the hard facts uh, escape me. But so I'm going to take a take a bit of a guess here, and I'm going to say the SEMA cruise became official in 2010. Hmm, 2010. 2010, as being my my final answer. I think that's a pretty good guess. Well, we'll find out at the end of the show, Ken. <laughs> this is right. All right. <laughs> Uh, I am going to guess a little bit later than that. I'm going to say it was 2013. Mm. Why do I feel like you're right about that? 
Well, that's also a good question. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, Joe. So uh, he says 2010. I say 2013. So you're going to have to hold that answer until the end of the show, right? I certainly will, Kevin. Okay. Uh, very that's... good guesses, incidentally. Both Thank of you. you. I, Thank and you. I know it was your first visit to the SEMA show recently, Mike. So uh, very, very, very good guess for the cue ball. Thank you. appreciate yes. that. It was a great time, go. and I, I hope to make a triumphant return to the SEMA show. Yeah, well, we all do at this point. So right. he's pretty much, uh, you know, backstage passes. Yeah. That's right, man. He's an industry guy. I am that guy. Just, just ask Ira. That's right. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard the industry guy story, Joe, but it was uh, uh, Mike's very first time at the SEMA show, and he's standing there with his mind thoroughly blown, and uh, we're in the uh, the grand lobby there at SEMA Central, and there's all these people walking around, and I come up, and I'm like, so what do you think, Mike? And he's like, oh, man, this is crazy. There's stuff everywhere, you know, and Ira, Gabriel, had happened to walk up, and I introduced Mike, uh, and Mike's daily job is uh, in the office technology uh, industry. He's not a professional automotive guy, but uh, I said, Ira, this is uh, um, Mike Clark. Mike, this is uh, Ira Gabriel, and, and Ira goes, I think I've met you before. You're an industry guy, right? And it was at that moment that Mike became an industry guy. That's right. <laughs> he probably thought, well, the name Mike Clark, uh, there's a gentleman who worked with the SEMA show organizers and SEMA, uh, and he worked for Chuck Schwartz at Convex, and his name was Mike Clark. And uh -huh. Ira, who steps over himself trying to be so nice and accommodating, especially when he hosts the SEMA show, he's just kissing uh, babies and shaking hands right. and trying to make sure everybody's comfortable. So that, that doesn't surprise me when it comes to Ira, another one no. of the great guys in our industry. You always feel good around Ira. You do. Unless he's your Unless, boss uh, you're his and he's wife. your balls. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, that, that question's down. Mike, did you uh, prepare a, a trivia question? I did indeed, Kevin. Okay, uh, short and sweet and to the point, gentlemen. In what year, <clears throat> excuse me, let's try that again. In what year did the Krager SS wheel hit the market for the first time? Oh, man. Well, because I am a giver, mm -hmm. I'm going to defer to Joe Sebergandio to answer before me. Uh, well, let's see. Um, I don't remember Krager wheel being like a talked about wheel when I was growing up. I, I was born in the late 50s. So I want to say it's going to be in the 60s, and I'm going to say it's going to be like during the heyday of a lot of the drag racing going on. So I'm going to say 1962. Oh, nice. Very good. I'm going to write that down here. It's probably wrong, though, Kevin. It was just a guess. That's, that's what all this is, man. This is... <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was going to cheat. I've got the desktop here, but... I'm, in the spirit of what we're trying to do, it's not a test, right? No, Correct. it's not. It's not. We've uh, never cheated on one of these yet. So, nope. uh, well, look. I think people enjoy our uh, uh, our ignorance as part of this experience because <laughs> <laughs> they're all pounding on their keyboard at home and now you know posting online what they think they yeah, answer you, is. you know you can't say anything really. I've even found it on my podcast. I'll, I'll ask a question I may barely know the answer to. And before right. I'm done even asking the question, somebody's already got the answer because of the computer. That's right. That's part of the reason why we're not live. Uh, okay. <laughs> so my guess, um, I'm going to bump that up a couple of years, uh, and I'm going to say 1966. 1966 for Kevin. For the Krager SS wheel. Hmm. 
which is uh, an icon and, and uh, just as popular today as it was then. You, you got know, that right. I don't know that it ever kind of went out of style. So no, it's timeless. Question. Definitely timeless. Like a broken watch. Nicely done. No, you know, on the right car, I love them. I love them. I do. Mm-hmm. A good street machine look. That's right. Uh, okay, so I prepared a trivia question, and uh, I'm going to pre-apologize to Mr. Clark on this one. Uh, but I will throw it out to Joe first. Absolutely. In 1993, Sport Truck Magazine gave away a customized Chevy 1500 themed around a famous rock and roller. It's a two-parter. Who was the musician that the truck was themed around, and who built the truck? I go first. Yeah, yes, oh, yeah. You turn you right, you're going first. <laughs> <laughs> that was Eddie Van Halen of Van Halen's truck. Wow. It was uh, that red, white striped creative that he uses on his uh, flaming guitar that he blazes with. <clears throat> and I think it was a Beltec built truck. I'm not certain. It was, a, it was a year or two before I started to spin my wheels over there at Sport Truck, but that's what I got, Kev. Eddie Van Halen, whoever that is, I don't know. Right. Uh, and built by Bell Tech. Very famous company in the Sport Truck world. All right. Mike, what do you think? Well, I was going to say the exact same thing that Joe said. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Having the luxury of not going first. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Just out of respect, I will not repeat the answer that, that Joe said because um, uh, I really didn't know. So I'll say uh, it was built for... Um, I'll say it was built for David Lee Roth. Oh, DLR. Um, and built by um, Boyd Coddington. Diamond Dave mm-hmm. at Hot Dogs by Floyd. <laughs> okay. Duly noted. Right on. All right. Well, thank I'll you, gentlemen. We car. made it through. What's that? I was going to say if it was a car built, all you had to say was ZC Top, and you were like, you had a 50-50 chance. Right, that's true. That's yeah, true. it seemed like everywhere you went for a while there, it was this easy top car or build or something. Video. Oh, yeah. oh, that's true. Shoot, it was big stuff. But uh, we were talking trucks, so I think we're safe about this. Yeah. Easy talk a truck, and uh, you know we try to tailor the uh, the trivia questions to the guest a little bit. And Joe had spent quite a bit of time at Sport Truck Magazine back in the day, so uh, thank you for that. Um, you know, it's funny, Joe. You and I have known each other for several decades, but I, I realized recently that, that my first unofficial introduction to Mr. Joe Sebergandio actually came in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> and I shared this with Mike a little bit earlier today. I was a young lad reading Cartoons Magazine, a uh, <laughs> of Peterson Publishing magazine, uh, which we talked about many times on the show here. And there was very little advertising in Cartoons Magazine. But what there was, was an ad for Hot Rod branded apparel. 
And lo and behold, on the inside front cover of the August 1984 issue of Cartoons Magazine is Joe Sebergandio as a young model wearing a hot rod t-shirt and baseball cap. <laughs> Were we like 14 in that picture, Joe? <laughs> By far, one of the worst things I've ever done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Who was also in the picture with you? Do you remember? Was an attractive young girl? Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, that was the beautiful Rochelle... Uh, Shapiro, uh, now a Rochelle Shapiro Kanoff, uh, who married uh, a nice guy that we used to play softball with, Neil Kanoff. Um, in fact, a lot of marriages took place as a result of the uh, automotive softball league after our activities. And <laughs> yeah, that was Rochelle Shapiro. And that came to me early on when I started my days at uh, Peterson Publishing Company, early 80s. I got a phone call from Neil Ya. Nelia was uh, Dick Day's assistant. Uh, Dick Day was pretty much the guy when you talked about Hot Rod Magazine in the early 80s. And uh, I was supposed to show up uh, at the studio the next day, and I did, really not knowing what was up, and that's what was up. And I um, I did a terrible job with the hair that day, as you can tell. <laughs> Get I, a hat um, on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know how I did, because it, it was probably the – when I was the most fit, but somehow the, the photo made me look like I had a nice little pot belly. So by the time all my New York buddies saw that back in Utica, New York, you can imagine yeah. how, how often I got my balls broke. I bet. I would, uh, thank God it was before the internet. If there was any saving grace, there was nothing that can give me immediate embarrassment. So it, it took, it took time, but yeah, it was and on that same token. For a second, if you don't think that was one of the coolest things that happened in my life either, uh, it, it was because every uh, every newsstand I opened it up and left it there, and every place I could airports, uh, you know, uh, drugstores, everybody carried hot rod, you know, and I would always just leave it open to that page and pretend I was famous <laughs> for a little while. There you go. Well, you kind of worked. That's cool. How did you uh, fall into doing that ad? Well, like I said, I was uh, a, a young upstart selling event space for he the He looked Peter cool when he got the call, events. basically. Yeah, yeah, right. And I got, a, I got a phone call from the brass to show up. So somebody somebody up there who were building the – those were ads to sell our apparel. Right. And um, I will tell you, uh, they sold a lot of apparel. And I, I don't know if that had anything to do with me, but you know, there was a time where you put a Hot Rod Magazine logo on anything, a hat, a T-shirt – and uh, as proof shows, you can put it on somebody <laughs> even like me and it will sell. And it did. Um, and still to this day, that that hot rod brand uh, is iconic. You know, we talked about the torque thrust and talk about the, the different other wheels, uh, the Kreger SS. You know, nothing, no brand, no name is uh, as solid as hot rod. So we, oh, yeah. we were lucky to do that. I did some other ads, too, that were for a center line over the years. And there's a couple of good stories about that as well, but I'm sure we're not here to talk about that. Well, you know, I think Rochelle probably sold more T-shirts than you did. She's wearing <laughs> a Stroker McGurk shirt, and uh, you know, that, that's, yeah. that's a winner right there. I think what's uh, what, another great, interesting story that Mike never heard is how you, Joe, got your professional start in the automotive side of things. Um, I guess uh, you, you know your first job was with Peterson, right, in the automotive side. It was. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough after uh, meeting and servicing many of the Peterson folks, starting with Mr. Peterson and, and 
the earlier mentioned Dick Day, but more pointedly, a gentleman by the name of Lee Lasky, who you know, as well mm -hmm. as uh, his nephew, Aaron, who spent some time with us uh, in the halls of uh, Sunset and Sweetser and others at Peterson. But Lee Lasky ran the special events department for Peterson Publishing. They frequented uh, the Daytona Beach area where I was uh, racing jet skis and going to college and working at the Hilton as a bellman. So, you know, the bellman's job is to make stuff happen, Kevin. And when they came to town, they typically had a list of things that they'd like to have for their clients. And they did things first class. So I was uh, lucky enough to be around at that time. I got to meet Dick and Lee. And after years of working with them, they would come to town for the beginning of the year for the Daytona 500. And then they'd come back for bike week. And then they'd come back for 24 hours at Daytona. And then they'd be back for whatever events Daytona would bring them in town for, I would always get to talk to him. And I was a hustler. So while I was going to school, any chance I had, I was positioning myself to get a job. And it finally happened, man. One day I was, I came back home from uh, getting my butt kicked in St. Petersburg racing jet skis. And I came into my uh, apartment complex at the time with my wife. We were in a beat up ambassador SST with the, reclining <laughs> seats that you can sleep on and nice that we uh we rolled into the apartments i went over like 20 speed bumps finally got to my apartment in the back but before i got to the apartment i opened up that mailbox and the volusia county bills were there for the electrical and for the garbage and for the every other damn thing and there was a, a letter at the very end from hot rod magazine and it was dick day's signature because he, had, he was an illustrator for uh, cartoons magazine. You mentioned that earlier, Kevin, Dick, mm -hmm. Dick was an awesome illustrator, not quite as good as Stroker and Tom Medley, but that when Dick wrote you a note and I knew that because after every trip, he would leave me a note with a pretty substantial tip in there. I might add as well and some inspirational notes and that signature and that, that type style, that handwritten type style that Dick had, I knew it was from him. And he said that he was happy to tell me that they had found a job for me in uh, Los Angeles working for special events and to expect a phone call next week from Lee Lasky. And that changed my life, man. Is, uh, <laughs> next thing I knew, uh, we moved out to Daytona and they're from Daytona to LA. And, and that was in 82. Yeah. And, and what I love about that story is you, you're a, you're a born hustler. You're a born guy who, who, like you said, you make stuff happen and you're still doing that today. And, it's funny when you say, you know, to some people who've not had that that professional uh, doorman experience, you know, the the doorman in a in a, a swanky high rise in New York or a, a you know five star hotel, they are your greatest asset. They learn who you are, they learn what you need, they learn to anticipate what you need before you know it, and that's that's what you do, and you still do that in the aftermarket. Uh, you know, working with SEMA or working with uh, you know, any number of event companies, Bonnie Air or, or, or working with whoever, you know, you're the guy making stuff happen. Um, but that story continues because didn't you move out to L.A. and things were a little rough going in the beginning? Yeah, largely because, you know, like I said, I had been looking for this job and been hustling the job for for years, literally. And when it finally happened, I didn't ask, like, what my title was. I didn't ask, I didn't even ask how much the job paid, Kevin. <laughs> uh, we got out to LA, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, Linda, who's been with me 
uh, since Daytona. When we rolled out, we were put up in the Sportsman's Lodge for a week on Peterson so that we could get acclimated and find a place. <laughs> well, it takes a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. And we were looking in all the wrong places. We were looking in Van Nuys and in the Valley. Shoot. Anywhere close to the office. You know, they were in mm-hmm. some high rent districts. So it wasn't as if we can really end up affording to live anywhere around there. And as we looked around and tried to find our way, um, a week turned into two weeks and turned into three weeks. And uh, we were paying four seventy five a month, which was high back in Daytona for a new townhouse. And Criminy. for four seventy five, you you couldn't get a hot plate and a mattress in L.A. So the whole shock of the enormity of L.A., the associated prices, not to mention we're doing all this without a car, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was it was it was overwhelming, and we gave a good gosh darn because we knew. This is where we wanted to be. And although things like having extra money or knowing that you were covered for next month, a lot of that uncertainty was was really looming over us. The excitement that we had about not only what we were experiencing, the new life in L.A., but the positivity that I had. Because immediately, as soon as I started work at events, I was at an event and I was selling. And I knew that... Lee Lasky kept assuring me, it's like, look, at the end of the year, you're going to make a nice little bonus. At the end of the year, you're going to make a nice little bonus. And sure as heck, we got through that first year. And um, uh, no looking back, man. That's that's awesome. And, you know, I, I have a, a you know similar story in my own entry into the, uh, the automotive side of things. Cause when I got hired with Peterson, I never asked for what my salary was either. It was just, <laughs> this is going to happen. You're going and you learn real quick what it takes to budget, uh, a measly paycheck that they were giving me and find a place to live and commute and all the rest of it and, and pay the high LA price of everything. And I've been there, but you know, that was also motivation to, uh, to not fail at this and to try and continue on. Um, because it is such a cool industry to be in. Kev, when I worked at that Hilton, uh, it was me and the bell captain was my buddy, Ralph Cerulli. I talked to him. You were probably making bank at that Hilton. Look, I didn't leave there without $500 and God knows what, you know, bags of this and (laughs) my goodness, (laughs) everything else. Uh, the stories are, you can write a book alone, but, um, at that time, and we always had the side hustles. We had the side hustles with the cab company. And if you wanted to bring a pizza or a sandwich in there, you paid us. And if you wanted to rent the golf course or the, the, the putting green or the jacuzzi, it was always cash. We made our own rules. So, you know, we were working the system. We had all our hustles going. And typically it was $500 days. And when it was Daytona 500, it was $1,000 days. Um, I got out here, nice. Kevin. Our paycheck, we made $1,250 a month is what I ultimately found out when I came right. out here. <laughs> you go from uh, you clearing that in two and a half days to uh, once a month. You know, so um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm laughing now, right? Right. Well, I mean, you know, they say you got to start somewhere. And it just shows that, you know, you had the passion, though, to, to do this kind of stuff. You know, it, it makes me think, though, one day I was leaving LAX to go fly to one of the NMCA races back in the back in the day. And I was watching this guy who was a sky cap picking up bags for people at LAX. And this is probably in 98 or so. 
And this dude was making 20 to 50 bucks like every 40 seconds. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, those sky caps, the wads used to be as big as their hands. You know, when they would pull out, give you change yep. for your little $5 because you didn't want to give them more than two bucks, but you had to break that five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and this, this, these guys were just taking in tens and twenties from every single person in line. Well, all those tipped employees, which I was one, and God knows I may end up one before this is all over. Kevin, <laughs> they all they all deserve a couple extra bucks now, uh, being out there in the line of fire, considering everything else that's happening, right? Absolutely, without a doubt. Well, so you know, we can kind of fast forward, and and you started working in the event side of things, and um, you've always kind of been an event guy. Those were some uh, some big events that uh, Peterson did, and you were primarily responsible for selling the space at the events and, and getting into some of the promotions, right? Yeah. Um, if you know, I remember going to Lee Lasky, I said, so what do you want me to do, Lee? So Lasky said, so when you go to the SEMA show, um, just hand out these pamphlets to you know everybody that you can. So I walk into the SEMA show. It's like, oh, my God. You know, there's... Holy cow. At the time, there was thousands of exhibitors, and I... I said, Lee, which ones? And he said, well, all of them. Oh, man. So I would go up and down these rows, handing out these flyers and these brochures, which were pretty nice. Um, and really no one wanted to talk to me because they were there to sell parts. Mm-hmm. But I would hand out the flyers and hand out the cards and more pointedly get their cards. They wanted me to get everybody's card. And although I didn't come back with 2,000 cards, I came back with quite a few hundred of them. And I came back with quite a few blisters. I remember showing up there with uh, like my first pair of dress pants. They were too long, and I had some girls hem them with a stapler. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, nice. My, my attempt at uh, making a tie was ridiculous, and there are so many things, including uh, blowing my cash advance for two hundred dollars, <laughs> like in the first twenty minutes on quarter slots, and trying to survive that friggin' town for like <laughs> I don't know another week with twenty dollars and no ATM and no FedEx and no nothing. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I I loved it. I realized right then that um, there was a certain brightness that came in the people's eyes when they saw that I had that Peterson Mm -hmm. logo or that Hot Rod shirt on or that Carcraft shirt on or was in the Peterson booth. There was a rub that, again, I was... I didn't know... I knew that in Daytona it meant a lot, but I didn't know on a national scope just how deep-rooted and what prominent Peterson's logo in that company had, but it didn't take me long to find out. And again, that was just another one of those affirmations that I was in the right spot. Yeah. Well, and you're absolutely right. And for those who haven't experienced, you know, what Joe's talking about, and there's, you know, a select few who were fortunate enough to have that, more so in in the time period you're talking about. But when I started with Peterson, I started in ad sales in 1997. And I had that exact same experience where I was going to my first SEMA show and I had a hot rod shirt on and it was the 50th anniversary of hot rod was the big deal that, that we're selling. And if you had the hot rod shirt on, you were with Peterson, you're, you were one of the good guys, you know, somebody from Edelbrock or Holly or any, any major, you know, automotive brand would stop a conversation with who they were talking to, to talk to you because you were from Peterson. And it was just a revered company and a revered set of brands that was very special, you know. And I was spoiled as as my first, uh, you know, foray into the into the industry outside of working on cars in my parents' garage, you know. 
um, to be able to have that association, I had no idea how good I had it um, and the advantages that came along with it, which allowed us to meet people and create relationships that, you know, we still have today, which is really cool. Well, I think the part of it that when you look back is uh, the growing part of it is that at the time you don't know, you know, you think it's you. And (laughs) once you realize that it's not and that you also, along with that, maybe that notoriety and that positive reception and those bright eyes that people give you, you also realize that there was a payback, which was that you, you had better been able to bring something to the party and you, and, and, once you got the other end of how that worked, you took acceptance of that and then you earned in your mind that, that, that respect that you got. You know, there was, there, there was a growing time for all of us because many of us were deeply in over our heads and we're all given opportunities that we're lucky to have had. Um, and there was a guy who always kept things in proper perspective who, um, is not with us any longer, but he's a gentleman that you and I know and loved uh, and continue to, Ralph Panico, who would always mm-hmm. allow you to understand your role as a Peterson rep, to relish and enjoy the benefits, and to uh, strive to always make sure that you were holding up your end and bringing something to the party. Uh, sometimes it was selling an ad. Sometimes it was putting out an issue. Um, a lot of times it was just uh, being a good host. Um, and gee, when you think about it, those were pretty nice gigs. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Guys like oh, us, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny because to what you were saying before, I knew it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> From day one, I knew they didn't give a Darn. who I was. But it was just a matter of, uh, again, having that association and really being an ambassador for those brands. And yes, it came with um, an open door in many cases. But to your point, you you better deliver, um, and you better de- to you had to deliver to the standard that was set by all those who came before you, and and guys like Panico, who was the greatest, um, had a high bar, you know, and you would very quickly be shown the door if you didn't deliver. So I think those of us who, you know, recognize the importance of that opportunity were the ones that kind of, you know, were able to make stuff happen and, and stay in the industry. So it was, yeah. Uh, and we've seen a lot of people come, th- come and go through the Peterson doors too. And as I look back, uh, those were some fun times too, but yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a core group Kev, of guys who uh, made it through that tube that started really early. And um, yeah, I, although yeah, maybe guys like me and you didn't feel like the reason why they were lighting up is because of us, you know, his time's, has gone on and decades have passed us. We've we're slowly earning our keep with a little bit longer to to to, to keep showing our metal. Well, yeah, and and so when I was uh, uh, working on Hot Rod TV, there was a video editor that was a freelance guy who wasn't an employee of the company, and he said something to me that that resonates. And his his comment was that the good people always work, right? And I think that's what you're saying is those those people who recognize, you know, what you have to work with and the opportunity and who rise up to the occasion and try to over deliver pretty soon. It doesn't matter whose shirt you have on anymore. You know, people know that when Joe Sebregadio calls, something's going on and it's not it's a call you want to take. And it's because of how you've conducted your business over the years and you've been respectful of their time and you always want to over deliver and you make them feel good. So 
you know, that, that's an important skill set, and, and not everybody has that. Oh, you know, Kevin, selfishly, I've made an agreement with myself once I left corporate and started Motor Media. And it was like, you know, I had done a good job listening to everybody else and working for everybody else for 20 some odd years. And although it wasn't as if I was tired with people telling me what to do, I wanted to be able to make my own calls. And that, that time there, that allowed me to get the other side of it covered and understand where that was coming from. And now I really enjoy my independence and it would probably be a tough adjustment for me to go back corporate. But I do like the fact that over the time that I was representing Peterson and the relationships that allowed me to make that, yes, many of those folks now allow me and afford me and my family the beautiful opportunity to have my own little gig where I've got big companies. Uh, and, you know, I don't have a lot of them because I, I like to keep it small. I'm, I'm, I think I'm at a place now where having anybody else help me in any capacity would just drive me friggin' nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and them too. Um, so I have a, f- a few folks that I've known forever that know me for all the good things and maybe some of the things that I don't do as well. They still accept and vice versa. And, and I'm, I'm at a good place now. Uh, going back corporate, gee, even wonder. But I think if I had to, um, yeah, maybe one more time. But I, I like it on my own. And I like doing my own deal. And I, I thank Peterson as well as SEMA too because although I never worked at SEMA, I've been so much a part of uh, – some of the sponsorship and sales and activations that still are present at the show, uh, that that relationship with SEMA afforded me another strong opportunity to, to strengthen my rapport in the industry. And I, I appreciate and thank SEMA. And, until this date, as you know, being subcontractors, as we are for them, mm-hmm. uh, one of the clients that I take the most pride in, in having as well as, you know, Pioneer and Bonnier, as you mentioned, um, still kind of lucky to be floating around independently. And if I could see that through the rest of my time in the industry, that would be my preference. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you do a great job with it. And it's funny to think back now on those days when you're basically, you know, living out of your car, coming back from Daytona to now being the guy who is the host of the SEMA Hall of Fame lunch banquet every year and and heading that up and interacting with those people um, really has to kind of blow your mind sometimes. I am um, always expecting, usually it's immediately after the function, uh, like the phone call. Uh, I remember early on when I got the initial phone call to do it, I thought it was a joke. It's almost like when people get called up and get inducted into the Hall of Fame, their, their reaction is like, is this a prank? When I got the phone call, it came from Chris Kersing. Mm. And the, I think immediately afterwards, I got a phone call from Peter, which is kind of how that worked. Mm. And I was, I said yes, and then was immediately able to, <laughs> to, to express how afraid I was and intimidated I was when Peter called me right afterwards. And it's like, I don't know what the hell I got myself into. My God, uh, mm. what if I um, screw up and you know, what if I dropped an F-bomb? What if I, <laughs> you know, don't uh, follow political directness? And it's been, it's been a while, Kev. I'm not exactly sure. In fact, that would be a good trivia question. But it's been over a decade now when I've done it. And I've, I've had the chance to call the names of a couple dozen Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unreal. And I think I dropped one F-bomb. I know I 
<laughs> I introduced Chris Kirstein and used Wade Kawasaki's title. I oh think I may have called someone up to the podium that wasn't alive. Oh, well. <laughs> and I, I had a really awkward situation that involves a gentleman that I really liked, George Paris, and I worked with um, Joji, his daughter, and her husband, Barry. They're local, and they're still, you know, the, the faces behind Barris Customs, which is still open in Burbank, uh, where George built all those awesome Batmobiles and kit cars and Munstermobiles. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I was in the middle of the Hall of Fame presentation. I don't remember who, in fact, we were inducting. Let's just say it was Chip. And Bob Larravee, who is one of the SEMA Hall of Famers who, for the most part, created the indoor car shows as we know it, particularly mm -hmm. the ones in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Bob Larravee, in the middle of me talking, he starts, he approaches the podium, Kevin, and he's, he's tugging at me, whatever he can grab, whether it's my shirt sleeve or my pants sleeve, he's tugging at me. And uh, he says, uh, George Barris just passed. Oh, man. So I take a pause and I share this message with the Hall of Fame. And I, I suggest that this is some bad information I've just been given. And I offer my condolences and I regret to inform everyone that SEMA Hall of Famer and a dear friend to all of us, George Barris, has passed. And Linda Vaughn almost passed out. Yeah. I don't know what else happened. Don't forget the age of most of the folks in that room. And I, people, I got a couple different takes visually from some folks. And I went on with my deal. I hadn't realized that I probably shouldn't have done that, but I was confused. I, I thought someone had sent Bob up to tell me this to make the announcement. When in fact, it was just Bob reacting to the news that he had just received. Wow. Bob thought he was wow. doing a good thing by telling me. I thought I was doing the right thing by sharing the message because I thought someone sent him up there to tell me. Sure. Mean, meanwhile, you know, afterwards, <laughs> my phone is freaking blowing up. <laughs> and it was one of those things where I, you know, Kevin, there wasn't, there wasn't a mean spirit behind any of it, but it was, it was one of my more awkward moments there. Uh, but above and beyond that, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, another highlight on the opposite end is like Chip Foose wouldn't even take his photo without me being in it. Really? Um, yeah. But I believe yeah. that. Uh, you know, people that Bob Candela uh, was a representative for Bob Chandler and Marilyn Chandler back when yeah. I was doing the four wheel jamborees in Indy. In fact, that was back when there was only like one monster truck, which was Bigfoot. Yep. So I got to know Bob and Marilyn uh, really, really well. But then flipping 30 years goes by and, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I get short and fat and gray hair and they get tall and skinny and quadzillionaires and their national celebrities and you, know, you forget and i got rekindled with them after you know three decades uh, at this recent hall of fame mm -hmm. so there's an example where hey joe uh here's life catching up with you uh, last time you saw them was 35 years ago wow oh boy you know and here you are inducting them now into the hall of fame <laughs> yeah so it's the, the, that, that's unreal kevin and you know you were with us i think you were a guest uh i was there which is a really good coup, uh, you know, good for you, uh, because it's, it's a really tight room. And so it you is. got a little bit of a sense how that, that room works. And it's, um, 
it's not as much pressure as you have when you do that uh, awesome job that you do at the banquet. But the group that we play to is a, is a little bit of a, of a that, that's the best that we got, you know. So I, I try to be really I try to be on point as much as I can. Well, you do a tremendous job. And yes, I was fortunate enough um, because, uh, you know, the past few years I've been asked to work with SEMA at the SEMA Central and, and this past year at the banquet and, and you and I do the, uh, the, the SEMA cruise that there was an opportunity afforded to sit in um, at the SEMA Hall of Fame lunch, which I had asked about because the only people that are in there are Hall of Famers and Joe, essentially, and a few SEMA staff members who help put it together. I mean, you, you can't get in this room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is, this is the, you know, the most exclusive club in the entire, you know, event. And to me, um, I was shaking basically the whole time I was there, you know, because this is, this is every person that has a name that has built a part or raced a car or done something in automotive that has been recognized and honored, uh, and inducted into the SEMA hall of fame. And the great thing about these people, and I know a good many of them through, you know, professional relationships, this is not something where there is any Mm -hmm. attitude or ego in the whole room and everybody deserves to have all the ego, Mm. you know, they're just wonderful, wonderful people and they enjoy their time together. I think, uh, I think, you know, just being kind of a spectator, Joe, and, and being in the crowd, everybody really enjoys that. They really enjoy your presentation. Um, I think you do a, a wonderful job. You make it uh, uh, very welcoming for everybody, and they get to kind of co-mingle with each other. And it's funny because there are people that have been in the Hall of Fame for many years, and you get the sense that they still don't believe that they're in the SEMA Hall of Fame you know, when you're there. <laughs> you know, there used to be a time, Kevin, where early on, I mean, I would look out there, and I would see Carol Shelby. I would see Jim Deist. I'd see Don Prudhomme. <laughs> I would see, you know, wow. just like pick, pick somebody. And if you didn't see them, it was Isky holding court. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, the more contemporary group, uh, the Corky Cokers who commands the attention in the room and he walks around and the, the Jim Worths telling the stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, we mentioned George Barris and, Angelo Gia Petroni pops in and Linda Vaughn's right behind them. And yep, goes on. Everywhere you turn. And now, after being a part of the industry for a long enough time, yeah, it's, it's especially nice now watching those folks that are being inducted newly into the Hall of Fame because many of them I worked with. And to see them getting recognized and watching their, their – they don't believe it, you know, and it's mm-hmm. still tough for them because – they have like a couple dry runs, which is really good for them. I believe when you're first inducted into the SEMA Hall of Fame, you get a little bit of love at the banquet that they have. Um, yep. Is it is it the installation banquet, Kevin? I'm sorry. It, it yes, it's the, the Hall of Fame installation banquet in July. A July. And then you have your acceptance at the luncheon. And then you join stages where you're a big part of it at the SEMA banquet after, you know, the festivities there. So... They get a few dry runs, and you know, by the time they're on that stage, I gotta believe that's probably the most intimidating, just due to the crowd size and the you know the Hollywood production with all the lights, camera, and action, and you know the green room. We don't have all that in the Hall of Fame, so I get them where they've had their third Chardonnay, and I'm pumping <laughs> them up a little bit. 
and I'm, you know, I'm helping them with their, their lipstick in some cases, and I'm helping them with their tie in some cases, and I'm patting some of them in the ass and encouraging them to go up there and have a good time. And I'm, 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 I'm really accepting and enjoying my role as like the host there until they kick me out. Hey, well, there's no reason that they, they should ever kick you out. You do a great job at that. And you've got the, so the, so the great thing there too, is that your career in this industry parallels a lot of those hall of fame members. Like you're saying, you know, you knew Bob Chandler 30 years ago and you brought him in last year. So there's a familiarity there, which is nice. They, I think people enjoy being recognized by somebody they know and, and have worked with for a long time. It's just a cool thing. It's uh, it is really neat. And, and the, the installation banquet, I was fortunate enough to uh, to co-host that with Jesse Combs a few years ago. And you do a great that, job there, Kevin. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Joe. It's, uh, it, luckily, they print the words on a big screen, and I can read them. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's an art to that. Uh, I've seen a lot of teleprompters go awry. Let's face it. I mean, uh, you've worn it well. You continue to, and I see your dance card has continued to grow. And uh, during that time, which... God knows when it'll be. If I'm lucky, it'll be a while. But if there's anybody that I would think would be able to take over that Hall of Fame gig, it would be somebody like you. Well, that is a tremendous honor. And uh, and if that bridge ever comes up, I'll, I'll gladly cross it. But like I said, I think uh, that's that's definitely your, your deal there. Um, but it's funny you mentioned the prompter going south. That happened at the banquet um, this past year. <laughs> Uh, and I think it was the time when we were bringing Marla Moore in as the SEMA person of the year and the whole screen goes blank. Um, but lucky enough, you know, I've known Marla for a long time and, and she knows how to do the dance and, and hopefully nobody really picked up on it, but uh, that does happen. Well, I've got a Marla story. You know, there was a time when, <laughs> there was a time when we, uh, we, uh, we launched Revin TV. It was a, a little something that uh, was based around, you know, folks cutting the cord on their cable TV and, you know, watching television shows online. And yep, it was, I'm sure uh, still it was it. Uh, there you go. So it was new media. And uh, I was a part of it as a sales rep and as a host. Mike Robledo and I hosted uh, Revit yep. News. And we went to SEMA and uh, David Leach. David, if you're out there listening, I hope you're doing well, and thank you for that opportunity. Uh, David um, David had a passion that uh, he got instilled in him by Ralph, as well as John Diana, as some folks may know. And David emulated Peterson for all the reasons why we talked about earlier. And David's hope was to create a little mini Peterson deal with Revan. And although it, it didn't really materialize that way, uh, he had a good spirit. And when he did something, he did it as, as, as well as he can. And he brought out the forces. We had a big Revan stage. We had a Revan bus. And we had uh, live uh, folks out there interviewing uh, people as they came out of the cocktail party leading into the SEMA show banquet. And here comes Marla. And I couldn't get to her any quicker because I've known her a little bit longer than you have. And I've watched mm -hmm. her grow and recently inducted her into the Hall of Fame. And you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I, I see her everywhere. We see each other everywhere. Well, I go up to her and I introduce her as Marla Maples. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I don't get it. 
I don't know why her head's spinning around. I don't know why the head, her eyes are rolling around her head. I, don't, I have no idea why Zan Martin is hysterical, spitting up wine through her nose. Nice. And so why, why are all these people going crazy? It's like, what's up with these people from the South, right? So she reminded me at the very end that her name was not Marla Maples and she wasn't Donald Trump's girlfriend and her name was Marla Moore. And she still loved me and said goodnight, Tony. Nice. Uh, <laughs> that is great, yeah. And it's funny... Thinking back, I did misspeak because uh, Dan Kahn was person of the year. Marla was getting inducted in the Hall of Fame, and that's when I had her on stage. But it is so like Marla to make that correction because she doesn't take crap from anybody, especially not you, which is good. Yeah, she's a, she's also the best. Uh, she was the best media negotiator. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, she's tough. That the world met, <laughs> and uh, kudos to her. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's really cool. And <clears throat> your trivia question alluded to the uh, the SEMA cruise, which uh, Mike thought happened in 10. I say 13, but that's never, uh, you know, not important right now. Um, I was fortunate enough to be asked by Peter and, and yourself to join the SEMA cruise a couple years ago as a, a kind of a co-commentator. And I got to tell you, of all the fun things that I get to do at the SEMA show, the SEMA cruise is the most fun for me. So working with you is just a blast. It's uh, it's another opportunity that I, I really, really appreciate. So thank you for allowing me to do that. Well, look, um, it's not as if we didn't need the help. I have... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, Pick somebody. Yeah. Well, not Good so much that, Mike. There. Is, there's, a, there's a certain... There's a certain benefit that I bring to the automotive industry, which is that deep, deep down, I'm a stick and ball and a boxing guy. I grew up with 340 dusters and Trans Ams and pickup trucks and Porsches and BMWs and 51 Chevys, and I love cars, but sports, baseball, basketball, football, Boxing, that was my deal. So I never got too starstruck. I never got – because I, I didn't know any better. I didn't get too intimidated around Don Prudhomme, but if you put me next to Don Drysdale, it would be a different story, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So because right. I didn't have that, um, I didn't I didn't ever have to worry about feeling as if um, I was going to be intimidated doing something or trying something or saying something. So the SEMA Cruise was one of those things where uh, – I I just saw something, Kevin, and I, I had Peter's support, and it, it, it took a while. Um, the genesis of the SEMA cruise came through a promotion that we had with Optima Battery, working in spirit with Bud Brutzman. Mm-hmm. And it was outside at the SEMA show, there was the activity called the Optima Streetcar Challenge, and it was just in its infancy. And as you know, the guys who participate in that event and man, is that event grown in stature and participation, but they immediately leave the SEMA show on Friday and head to Pahrump to begin their competition, which takes place the week after the SEMA show. They're all conveniently in Vegas. So it makes a lot of sense for Optima to start the event that following weekend, but they had a task where they had to leave the show a little bit earlier than the official closing to get to their activity. And um, that was tough because Peter was a stickler. Like, you didn't leave your booth. Nothing broke down until the show was over. And if mm-hmm. the show hours was 4 o'clock, it was 4 o'clock, not 3.30. And well, they wanted to do it like at 2 o'clock. And it took a year or two for Peter to finally allow that. And we did as a cooperative because Optima was a good partner and a sponsor. 
So around, they had to leave at three. So around two o'clock, I go over there and I'm with Greg Glass, who at the time was working for Bud Brutzman and um, Goldberg was there with us. And some of the Optimus Streetcar Challenge guys were out there. Jeff Smith was out there. I don't know if he was a participant or what he was doing, but I remember going out there. It's like, okay, guys, you got to keep this pretty quick, right? Um, I'm going to uh, do my best to get to everybody about 10 minutes before we fire up to let you know so you can get in your cars. Don't fire up your car until I give you the signal. By that time, Kevin, I was able to go make arrangements with security to open up a specific area outside and let them get on Paradise Boulevard and get their way out of there. Well, when the time came and everything was in order and we got the security guys dialed in and we got Bud guys dialed in, um, Greg's like, okay, let's open the gate. I slapped Greg in the head. It's like, no one opens the gate. Until Peter says, open the gate. But Peter said. I tell Peter what's going on. Peter makes me repeat it three times. I repeat it four times. Mm-hmm. He says, open the gate. When I tell these guys to fire up their cars, Kevin, it was like, it was like God was coming down, giving free tickets to heaven. People mm. came to these 24 cars or so at the time, because that's all there was at the time. People came running out of the South Hall, running from the center hall, running from the mother's booth towards, because at the time they were positioned out kind of where Ford out front is. Mm -hmm. So that little area there and right then and there, as I watched that, I said, oh, shoot. Oh, (laughs) shoot. This is, this is is magic in a bottle. I go back to Peter says, how did it go? It's like, did you lock that gate? Did you lock? I said, yeah, the gate's locked. The gate's locked. It's like. God, what is the nightmare that was? Like, no, it wasn't. It was magical. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you saw it. So you see all those people? Yeah. So could you imagine, like, if all these cars fired up, we do like a friggin' parade or a cruise? He goes, you're nuts. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. come on, we got to go back. We got to, we got to show it to finish. So we joked about it. I uh, continued to harp on it because I was, I was just, you know, I, I was fired up. And he calmed me down. He would always kind of put me in check. And the next year came around. It's like, man, we got to do this cruise. And he's like, Joe, enough with the cruise. We got enough to do. We got, we got the world's largest show here. You want to do something like the end of the show and people just want to go home? It's like, no. So after a, two years, he gave me, I, I said, look, look, if we did bleachers, Peter, and he did microphones and, you know, sell hot dogs. And he's like, look, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a stage and one microphone. See how it goes. And, and that's with me and Brian Paik. If you look, there's a picture, me and Brian Paik. On a little, little stage, maybe a 10 by 20, uh, with David Hakeem from Mopar looking at us like we were nuts mm-hmm. and um, getting ready to do this cruise. And um, honestly, Kevin, there's a lot of folks that weren't expecting it to be anything. And honestly, I think there were a few folks who weren't really hoping that it was going to be something. And I only say that because there were a few folks that I know that was true, which is unfortunate. But the beauty was that we Frickin'. killed it. It, mm-hmm. it. it rained. It had never rained at the SEMA show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All the years I had been going, and it started to rain. And we had to cover everything up, including the audio. Uh, and folks were kind of like getting bored. Uh, but then the sun came out. And then the cars mm-hmm. started coming. And then it slowly, more people started to come. And, man, we, we, had, we had a little bit of a something. We had something going. I was looking at Brian. Um, I already had one or two sponsors. I think Mothers was a sponsor and maybe UPS. One or two of those folks supported it. And uh, it it's grown now from, <laughs> I don't know, hundreds of people and maybe 100 or so cars, 200 cars that ultimately were a part of it the first time. 
to now being um, a pretty big part of the show with helicopters and I don't oh, know, tens of thousands of people. And that was, they put us in the East End now, which isn't front and center like it was on Paradise prior to the, the change. But uh, man, there was a time, Kevin, where, you know, we talked about Van Halen. Guys like you and I could be rock stars for two hours playing to 30,000 people. Uh, yeah, and, well, and, that, and part of that is just the the changes that the the site is going through. The Vegas Convention Center is expanding and reconfiguring, and the city of Las Vegas is doing stuff, and that's kind of dictating the route for the most part. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, we're just happy to still be able to have it. Uh, you know, you can put that thing underground and people will find it, but my point, <laughs> I guess, is that there, there, was, there was a time uh, being out there on Silver Drive with all those cars leaving across the street, which, you know, no longer is going to be there because there'll be a building in place of that empty gold lot. But yeah. uh, that was, uh, that was a, that was our industry realistically in its full glory. All those people, oh, yeah. every one of them had a smile on their face. Uh, one of the largest collection of one-off unique vehicles that ever existed. And you're right in the middle of it. And, and my job was just to keep it going, keep it going. And I think at 61 or at 60 at the time, uh, I, not only could I use the help, but, but candidly, Kevin, my forte wasn't anywhere near the scope and the depth of your automotive historical um, knowledge and expertise. Uh, I'm able to throw in a little bit. I could talk to you about uh, shark fin grills on A-bodies and years, but I, I can't go as deep as you. And honestly, that's not my role there. My role there is... Um, to keep things a little bit light, to share some of my escapades. And I usually have a few of them because I've been in there for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to share some stories to try to call some people out that need the, the attention that I can give them. And you've done a great job, not only within a couple of years blending in oh so perfectly, but I was never one to really jump up and want to talk to Jay Leno. Like I want to talk to Dave Tucci. I never mm-hmm. really wanted to talk to the guy who went uh, – Sorry, Peter. Camel Trophy. Um, <laughs> I, I want to talk to um, I want to talk to the guy who wrote me the check for twenty grand to be the sponsor. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I got a different way that I like to shine my spotlight. Uh, when I can get you to come in there and pull over a friggin' custom Buick Electra two twenty five with the four forty Mopar swap and some friggin' rear end ring and pinion axle ratio, I don't know. Uh, you know, that's You've been able to do that and give those folks that attention to detail that candidly, I wasn't giving them. And 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 I bust your balls because I know sometimes when you pull a guy over to talk about cars, they don't shut up and I tell them to shut up. But, <laughs> um, but, 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 but I'm so, so happy deep down. And I know that you know the spirit of that when I do that for you to, to, to be able to recognize. Because to me, if I see another white bulldozer, you know, big high rise truck again, It'll kill me. You're smart enough to be able to differentiate the one that's really got something trick. Uh, to me, you know, I want to blow them up after I see the 50th. You know, so you really helped me in that regard so that I can continue to act the fool. Well, there, there's so much going on with the SEMA careers, and, and thank you for the kind words. But uh, what what I think is so cool about it, yes, the the – the firing up and the engine sounds were, were kind of the thing that the SEMA show is missing. I mean, yes, there's the Ford out front and, and various automakers and demos and stuff, but I think that's why people went so crazy for hearing those cars fire up is because the show is largely static, you know? 
So anytime, you know, and, and they're all primed, you know, they're looking at all these performance parts and cool cars. And, and finally, when they, they hear them come to life, you know, it's just a whole new energy. Even after a week of walking miles and miles every day, it invigorates people to see these cars come to life. So I'm going to say that, you know, you, you pulled a, uh, you pulled a page out of the Disney playbook of taking something that was already happening and making it something super special. You know, there's this great story that I read about Walt Disney. And before, you know, when, when Disneyland first opened in California, the, the parking lot was not yet landscaped. There was weeds and stuff on the side. And he had his tram, you know, where people would get in the parking lot and they'd ride the tramway in. Well, because there was no time to landscape the parking lot, Walt Disney, in a stroke of brilliance, hung tags on the weeds with the Latin name for the weed. Right. Oh so all of a sudden they became an exhibit. Right. He took what was already there and made it awesome. And that's exactly what happened with the SEMA Cruise. All those cars had to leave no matter what. And to, to spotlight them and to showcase them and to put them on a pedestal was it was a gimme. But it was it was so obvious that nobody noticed it until you did. So it, it's, it's such a great little, you know, icing on the cake type event. And it is, uh, you know, for anybody who's been there, they know they, they, they hear Joe. Your commentary is awesome, and you do keep things moving because I tend to kind of get bogged down every once in a while talking to somebody, and, and Joe starts making comments, and, and I have to laugh, and none of it's disrespectful, but it kind of walks that line, keeps it a little bit edgy, and it's a lot of fun, and you're right, you've made some comments about some of the big mall crawler trucks that are coming through. <laughs> well, my gauge is always, you know, how many people did we play to last year? It was a smaller crowd, but there still had to be like 10,000 people within earshot, right? Probably, and, probably. You yeah. know, I, I can usually, you know, um, not all of these guys have happy faces when you walk out there. You know, it's just going to be one of those things. Maybe it's my yep. accent. Maybe I haven't, you know, I don't float their boat for whatever reason. But I got the majority of them in my corner, and I find those guys because mm-hmm. I don't want to be around people that don't like me. So when I oh, find yeah. that group of folks that um, are uh, – are in tune in terms of what they expect from me. I hang with them because they feed me and yeah. uh, they're my gauge. So like if I'm ragging on bro dozers and I get support from those guys, I know I'm, I'm, I'm playing to my people. When, when I see the fifth stock McLaren go by revving up their engine and I tell everybody that it's a lease, it's a rental. You know, car. They give me <laughs> thumbs up. Uh, you know, um, when there's a, um, four by four that's lifted eight floors and it's full with hot blondes. I'm Frickin'. jumping in that car. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, there, there, there's certain things that I'm just going to react to being who I am. Yep. And every once in a while, it's like, damn, wait, Kawasaki was, I think he runs this organization this year. It's like, I think he just saw me jump into a car of blondes. I wonder if I'll ever get this job back again. Oh Yeah. I had to stop. I've actually never listened to Kevin after the first year, and there's been quite a few of them since. I have listened to no SEMA Cruise videos, no social media. I'm afraid to hear my voice. I hate it. You know, you, you hear people say that, but I don't want to see myself. I hear people telling me that they've had clips that they've seen with me doing and saying things. There's one image, though, that if if I could ever visually try to project how much I love the SEMA cruises. There's a photo I took or someone took of me snorting black diesel fumes. Oh yes. I remember that. Um, 
and it was uh, the Joe moment uh, in, in photos. And honestly, man, that was, that was, that was pretty damn cool. And I don't know who took the photo and I think it ran somewhere in SEMA news. And I always look back at that and it's like, man, that photo is just how I feel about my time in this industry. It, it's, it's really unreal. Hmm. That was uh, that was a, a great moment because that was when the cruise was out in front, and uh, I was in the stands for that one because we had a, a a car and truck on display there that year. This Mister Chevy uh, fifty five Chevy Gasser on top of a matching hall. I remember, truck. Kev. I yeah, remember old one. And, yes, it was uh, in the grand lobby in the hall, and then we had the trailer. I think it may have. Gone, I don't know if it's in the, one of the main halls now. I thought I saw it outside one year. That. that that, that vehicle, that setup with the trailer and that car, that, that was awesome. That continues to be a, a head turner. Yeah, it was very cool. And we're all waiting for the owner, uh, who's, a, who's literally a, a local farmer, and, and he's owned the truck and car for a while. He's driving it through the cruise. And you know, before that, though, you know, this diesel comes through, and here's, here's Joe in the middle of the street. You know, and this guy totally just black smokes the whole crowd with this oh, giant geez. diesel truck with six inch pipes and everything you know and it's blowing stuff and joe jumps right in the middle of the street taking both hands and fanning it up his nose <laughs> oh <my laughs> taking God. it all in and i'm like yeah that, that's our boy <laughs> and there was a in that photo kevin you can see about maybe a thousand people that are just their mouths are like wide open in shock and laughing and it was yeah uh, totally uh, <laughs> and thank god i didn't realize that that had happened that night i tend to um bask in the, the, the residual of the, the fun I have after the SEMA cruise. And usually it's the last night of the show. So yep. myself and some of the guys who really make that show happen, whether it's Tom G or Peter at the time or Tim Sasamian or maybe some of the guys that have helped and I've worked with, whether it's Kaz or Brian, we all show up at Piero's, which is the only place I go every night I'm there. And we look back at the event. Dude, my heart's still pumping from the cruise. Um, last year was a different story, Kevin, because I was in bed for f most of that morning leading up to the SEMA cruise with whatever was going around at the SEMA show. Yeah, they call it COVID-19, I think. Yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, some folks said they thought that it may have started at the Super Bowl, but um, there was a, quite a few folks that got it at um, – that were sick after the SEMA show. I think it I had was. to do with vape pens, but that's just a whole different story. So I, I know I was wiped out, and and uh, one of the challenges last year at the SEMA cruise is that we the, the cruise route did go through some construction zones that were very dusty, and I think they they sprayed it with a water truck. But when you bring three thousand cars out, you know, or, or you know, close to it, um, that dust was in the air, and and you and I were both kind of red eyed and hacking by the end of that thing. Well, I uh, slept till two thirty. I took an hour shower. I rolled down there and I walked. And usually I can walk to the show office and somebody give me a ride. There was no one to be found. So now I'm walking. And as I'm walking to you, my throat's not working. Mm -hmm. I'm sweating. I'm not, I'm not doing good. This is, this is the beginning of whatever I'm getting. And I, I swear for a second, Kev, I didn't think I was going to go because of my voice. I, didn't, I knew I could stay there physically, but I didn't want to disturb everybody. There's nothing worse than trying to be a voice and having like a, a cough or a no you know, voice, cranky man. sound. So um, I got through it. And when we got done, I didn't even go across the street. I walked back to, I, I cut through the halls and I got back to my room. I hallucinated most of the night. I, I, I sweated through like three or four different sets of sheets. All I was worrying about is getting back home that following morning and making my flight. And yeah. I got, I, I think I got home like around noon the next Saturday and I stayed in bed probably till that 
Thursday afterwards off and on. I don't know what the hell I got. So I was lucky to get the last EMA cruise in. That was a tough one. Yeah, I remember texting you after that and not getting a response for a couple of days. I'm thinking, <laughs> oh boy, I just got canned. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. This means just a bigger, bigger, bigger role more than anything else. Well, but it was. Uh, it's always a good time, and and uh, you know, there there's always media and recordings and everything else, and and you have those who you know comment socially, and I, I think my mission there is, um, you know, the cars are interesting to me, and and it's fun to talk to the owners and the builders and learn some of the details and share that kind of stuff, and. You know, I don't claim to be an expert in anything, and it really made me tune up my game on learning about Jeeps and trucks, and you know, because I'm a muscle car and a classic car guy primarily. So it keeps me on my toes, but it's a great yin and yang. And and when I'm out, you pop in with something, and when you're out, I got something, and and I got to hand it to the the production team that puts that on. They do a great job, and and uh, uh, Paul Cuniff is always there, and, and and Paul's one of the big shots that runs the the actual um, event staff that, that puts the, the SEMA show together and have him standing out there at the SEMA cruise because he wants to and he thinks it's fun. You know, that that's pretty cool. And uh, my lovely wife, Kelly, though, kind of saved my can this year because she was hitting me up with water bottles repeatedly as we were out in the dust and the, the hacking. But uh, it's a good event. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, she took care of me as well. Um, yeah. Kelly, she thank you. for everybody. And you mentioned <laughs> Paul. uh Paul, who is uh, not only one of the main guys at GES that services the show, but he's just a great man. Uh, love working with him. There's also a guy by the name of Rich Ininga. Mostly everybody knows Rich because he wears that Superman shirt on the SEMA cruise. And damn, he earns that badge because they do a yeoman's job collectively. Uh, GES, Freeman, all the show suppliers that help at the SEMA show. And, mm-hmm. you know, with us, it's audio. And it's logistics and it's security. And, uh, you know, those are things that a lot of folks have to worry about. I feel like when, when they hand us the microphone, the microphone's going to work. If there's a problem, oh, you need yeah. security. Just look around. I mean, there's, you know, we got a pretty good gig. It'd be a lot of two other folks would be fighting to get the gigs that we have there with the SEMA cruise. And in addition to all the goodness you do there, you've got a nice stage to help get folks some limelight at that SEMA Central in the Grand Lobby, and that's that's a nice gig. I had fun spending some time with you that one year, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. You, you don't have to worry about the, the mic not working, and and you know firsthand you do some of the, some other events that don't have that robust of a team where you got to make sure that the gate's unlocked and that the stands are there and that everybody, you know, you got to be on top of everything. Uh, but we're very fortunate at, at the SEMA show. It's the real deal. There's There's no worry about that stuff. Um, our time's getting a little bit short, but I did want you to chat for just a sec about the uh, Automotive Aftermarket Insider podcast, which is uh, turning out to be something that I look forward to absolutely every week. Likewise. Well, I'll tell you what. Thank you. Um, your check's in the mail. We. Uh, <laughs> what about mine, Joe? Not your checks. I, I said. I said. All right. Plural. All yes, right. Yes. Want to be sure. Sure. Um, I uh, honestly have dabbled in podcasting for five years now with Joe's mini bike reunion podcast, which is uh, dedicated oh, cool. largely to these rigid frame death trap mini bikes that guys my age have uh, had in their blood since they were young kids. And I have a, an event Joe's mini bike reunion that's held annually here in Southern California in October. And the podcast was just my graduation from buying ads in the newspaper 
and on local television prior to the show, I thought I would use those dollars and have a podcast that I would promote the event. There's like a house organ for the, the show. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And we got to go in and people liked it and we started to do it monthly. And we started to do it every other week, which we currently do. And uh, we played to a few thousand folks with nothing better to do on uh, pretty much a consistent basis. Once we air it and put it out there on the YouTubes and the Podomatics of the world, we typically get five or 7,000 folks that watch on an average. And it's just lighthearted. And um, the guests are the stars. And I, although I do that for the event, and I'm doing that to try to promote and keep the mini bike hobby going, as I, as I looked back, especially during this recent time where I've had some time to just be bored out of my mind, I've spent a lot of time on podcasts and I found them to be something I look forward to. Um, I listened to Joe Rogan's podcast. I listened to Joey Coco Diaz. I listened to um, uh, Ariel Hawani's show for MMA. I, I, I like podcasts and especially those that I feel I, 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 I resonate with and I've always felt that I am nothing more than a personality within this industry. And because of the jobs and gigs that I have where I'm in front of many of the real celebrities and, and, and movers and shakers in the industry, they tolerate me. They take my phone call. They talk to me. They're comfortable with me. And I thought, why not do a podcast within a group of folks that I have a, a longstanding rapport with? Maybe I could pick up the phone and, you know, Get a couple of them on. And I reached out to, at the time, uh, Tom Gattuso because of the relevance of the SEMA show. And let's face it, the novelty coronavirus topic. And that's, there was a reason why I felt I needed to do that. It's because people wanted to know about it because people were asking me about it. And I also knew that a lot of my friends were starting to lose their gigs. And um, some of them got packages. Some of them just got let go. Some of them were furloughed. And there were a lot of folks uh, not doing well. They were frustrated. They were concerned. They were drinking and smoking and token everything else, trying to you know get their stuff together because someone stole their cheese. Someone someone shut the lights off. And it's like you know this podcast. I could bring people up, um, have some fun, kill some time, and maybe find some jobs. And I have uh, we're we're in our sixth episode now. And I've been lucky. We've had some pretty good guests uh, on the show, including Tom, as I mentioned. We had Ron Coleman. We had Alex Borla. We've had you. Um, I'm looking forward to these upcoming podcasts. We've got uh, Carson Lev from uh, Redfin Productions. We've got uh, Doug Evans coming on. We've got Bud Brutzman coming on. I've reached out to Dave Mack, uh, Linda Vaughn. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of uh, momentum, Kevin. And mm -hmm. we do it every Tuesday at 11 a.m. live on Facebook on the Aftermarket Insider Facebook page. You can pick it up anywhere else, wherever you get your pod, uh, your podcast downloads uh, at any time. Uh, we've got great sponsor support from Pioneer, which um, allowed me to work with uh, Emmanuel from D1 Productions, who hosts my and, and produces my podcast for the mini bike stuff. And we're, uh, we're hoping that we can grow this little audience so that by the time the SEMA show comes uh, in November, and we're all hopeful and positive that that will happen, that I'll have 24 episodes in the can. And you know me, Kevin, I'll have a rate card and a sponsorship opportunity and I'll be ready to go. And uh, probably right. have a little little desk and a little podcast set up at the SEMA show uh, doing my thing. Nice. That 
will be very cool. And for me personally, um, I'm, I'm honored and flattered that you, you had me on as a guest and that uh, Kelly and I hopefully can, can contribute some stuff going forward uh, with you know careers in the industry, which is very important to us. Uh, but personally, it is allowing uh, a connection to a lot of the people that you mentioned that we're not getting right now because of the way of the world of the virus. So for me, I'm not going to miss that show um, just to be in tune with what the rest of our industry and our friends are doing. So I, I really appreciate it. I, I think it's great. Thank you, Kevin. I, um, I must admit, every time I do something, my wife says it's great. And uh, I kind of get used to that. When you hear other people tell you that they appreciate it, uh, especially somebody that you know would also call you to the side and say, hey, look, man, you got a booger. Or, hey, look, you know, you got toilet paper on your shoe. A lot of good guys that I know, uh, they don't dick around. Like if I put some half-ass show out, I know I'm going to get a call from Tim Sasamian telling me I got a half-ass show or I'm yeah. not looking in the camera. Um, I, I have too many true friends that would put me in check. And I've gotten a few checks and I've gotten a few compliments. Uh, both of them coming from people that I really like, whether it's a compliment from Elise Borla or it's, uh, you know, uh, I need to get rid of my glasses from Jim Savis. Uh, it's all well <laughs> intended and uh, five deep into it. Uh, look, Emmanuel came in today, put some filters on the lights. We changed the location of the camera. Uh, we put another squirrel inside the computer so it'll last a little bit longer. The next podcast, um, we went from 319 to 321 uh, new, uh, new viewers. So, you know, hey. we're just, um, we're skyrocketing, you know? Well, and I think, you know, I like your choice of doing it live. Um, not everybody can watch it live. So I think the residual life is, is stronger than the live performance for sure. Uh, but I, I just think it's a good thing. I, again, I'm a little bit, you know, different in that I've known all of your guests personally. So it's a nice personal friendship kind of thing to, to see what our friends are doing, but that's what our industry is. You know, most, a lot of these people know each other and it's nice to, to hear from them and to see that they're doing okay. And if they're not, you know, to figure out ways to help them out. So I think it's a, uh, it's a cool thing and I'm not just blowing smoke. I, I dig it. Well, good. And, and here's the thing. Let's take this from just something that um, maybe I thought would be a cool deal to fill um, a gap that others may need during this time. That was just the reason why I started it. I wanted to do a podcast in the automotive industry but there had to be a reason. There had to be a timing. It's like I knew I also wanted to produce my own event. And it wasn't until my daughter saw me in my garage with all my mini bikes and said that she was walking by me, shaking her head. She goes, God, Dad, why don't you grow up? It's like, what do you mean? She goes, you have so many of these mini bikes. Why don't you put on your own show? And she like walked away with her Starbucks and zipped off. And I said, that's it. Mini bike show. Go. It was the same thing with this. After I'm sitting on this frigging couch three days in a row, wondering what I'm going to do. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. I feel like it's 10 o'clock at night. I say, you know what? I talked to my buddy today. He's getting furloughed. I just took a ride on the motorcycle with my buddy who just lost his job. Like all these guys that I really know that I've been spending time with, they're all dooming and glooming. Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to start this frigging podcast. And I, Let's I give told him something. Him. Yeah. And when we did it quick, Kevin, and um, you know, it, 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 it's turned out uh, so far. Uh, and again, we got a long way to go, but it's just a building block and it's something that, that I'm liking and I'm hoping to get better. And, you know, I, I wanted to have some value besides just the novelty of it. And that's where you come in. Uh, I think Kelly had asked me, I don't know if it was the Jamboree in Indianapolis or if it was the Street Machine Nationals in 
I think St. Paul, where we were just chatting and she said, you know, I got some questions, you know, with you, Joe, you may know. It's like, you know, we talked about hiring and qualifying potential workers and, you know, what criteria to use. And I suggested that maybe she talked to some other folks that are in your area that are in the industry. And she had already done that, but I knew that she had a, she had experience interviewing people. I knew that she was very talented as well as having the ability to work with you, you guys were good evaluators of talent and character and maybe take advantage of that opportunity that she reached out to me. Maybe I can return the favor and say, look, why don't you guys come on? And my goal is to help not only young people get an opportunity to find a way into this industry, but now in light of what's happening with the pandemic, there's a lot of mature folks that are looking to get back into the job market. So let's bring in folks like yourself that can help. Uh, Ira Gabriel, who's a good friend of mine, we work together on the SEMA Young Guns, uh, along with Mike Robledo, who's the director of SEMA Young Guns. And we're, we were on the road nationally looking for young enthusiasts who wanted to get into the industry as builders. But some of that rubbed off on me. Not, now I'm not just looking for builders. I'm looking for guys, gals, young kids that want to get involved in our industry Mm-hmm. Give them a bill sheet, give them some fast tracking, give them some tips, how to get them prepared. And, and I think you're going to be able to do that. And that segment, making it count, which I love, is something that I hope that maybe we can have you be a part of and bring to the show maybe a couple times a month. Maybe if, it, if it's topical every month, if, you know, we'll figure out our schedule. But I'm really anxious to have you not only on board, but also place a minimum of three people, Kevin. That's my goal through your effort and ours and Kelly's. Let's find a job for three people in this industry as a result of the podcast. Right on. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And Kelly's obviously the smart one behind all this. And uh, <laughs> she does the majority of the interviewing and hiring in our organization. And not only in, in our shop, but in her previous life, um, she was close to that in law firms. And and uh, I think there's a lot of common sense things that are overlooked uh, where people are trying to fit a template or fit what they're supposed to say in an interview, and they kind of lose sight of what employers are really looking for. So I'm not the world's expert, um, you know, on on career placement, but I know our business has hired a lot of people, and we've interviewed a lot of people, and we think we kind of know what people are looking for, and we're always uh, looking to help those, like you're saying, the youth, seasoned professionals, veterans, whoever they are that, uh, that, that want to advance their career. So I think it's pretty cool. I really and love it. It's not going to just be us, Kevin. You know, it won't just be us up to us to, to make that happen. Um, through the podcast, I'm reaching out to any manufacturer that's looking to employ. Yep. Uh, we had Troy Tropani on the podcast as a guest and Kevin, he would be great for you to have on your podcast as well. Um, yes. he's got that new show on Amazon prime rad rides by Troy. But, uh, you know, Troy said, look, Joe, my problem is my location. I'm in like in the middle of Iowa, right? It's like, it's not like they got a ton of talented folks here, you oh know? Um, so, you know, there are opportunities that are out there and not only are there challenges for those folks seeking employment, but for those folks that are looking to hire and talking to some of those folks and having them give us some insight about if they're hiring, uh, in addition to maybe on our website, cause we have a website for the aftermarket insider as well. Kevin, I want to have like a job posting wanted, uh, you know, jobs wanted and jobs available too. So we'll, we'll help support the SEMA, uh, job postings that's popular on their site, SEMA.org. Maybe we'll create one on our own. I think it's a great idea. So 
I uh, am recommending to everybody listening to check out the Aftermarket Insider. Uh, it's live on Facebook, um, but then, like Joe said, you can you can watch it other places afterwards. Because um, it could just change your life. How about that? <laughs> right on. I'll hire you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? Well, coming listen. after this podcast, I may be looking for a job. Oh no, I I am every day. Um, but I can hear this collective, uh, you know, around the world, everybody's turning blue waiting to hear the results of our trivia question. So we're going to have to wrap this up. But, um, Joe, you, you went first with your question. What was the question? And uh, let's recap that real fast. Well, the question I had, Kevin, is what year the SEMA cruise was officially kicked off? I mean, the, the one that was endorsed by SEMA, the one that was pre-promoted, the one that was advertised, the one that was sponsored, the one that was held in the front of the SEMA show. What right. year yeah. was the first year? And Mikey said 2010. I said 2013. Who was closer? Um, Mikey was. Uh, typically, it's not only closer, but without going over, Kev. So, unfortunately, you failed on both of those. It was 2011. Whoa. 11. Right on. And uh, if you'd like to, for those of you who are listening, and it gets kind of cool, go to Google and uh, just type in 2011 SEMA Cruise, and then just keep it going. 2012, 13, go up to 2019. And starting in 2018, I think is when Kevin Osti joined me as co-host and it kicked it up a notch. But um, yeah, it's the SEMA cruise. And if you uh, can make it, it's always the first Friday of November live at the convention center in Las Vegas. And uh, it's full steam ahead from the perspective of the folks over at the SEMA show. And, uh, you know, if the SEMA show is happening, I will be there. I may have gloves and a mask on, which may not be a bad thing for some of you. Uh, but um, that's that's kind of the plan, and that was the answer to the trivia question. 2011 was the first Dig year it. of the SEMA cruise. Uh, it was wow. sponsored by Mothers and I believe UPS. And you know what's funny is I was in it that year. Uh, it just makes me realize I got my own year wrong on the car that we built because we had a '68 Camaro that we called Reloaded. It was a silver car, and the owner of the car, it was another SEMA build. It was finished like the night before the show opened and it was parked out in front at the MagnaFlow display. And I told the owner, he flew out to Vegas to meet us. Actually, I think he drove with us that year. Anyway, he says, uh, what's the SEMA cruise thing all about? And I said, well, let's try it, right? So we start the car up and there's a little inside tip that we did on this particular car because he wanted to show it at some indoor car shows. And most indoor car shows, you can't have any gas in the tank, right? You got to have less than an eighth of a tank of gas. Well, we put a switch on this thing. So you flip the switch and the tank goes to empty <laughs> so that you don't have to worry if you got a full tank of gas or not, you know. <laughs> and we get in the car and I fire this thing up and it's showing empty. And I'm thinking, okay, we just got to flip the switch, right? Well, I flip the switch and it's still empty. I'm like, oh, jeez. Uh -oh. And... The SEMA cruise at that point was an idle fest as all the cars were starting to filter through and everything. And we're idling and idling and idling. And now it's raining and it's raining on this very expensive car that our buddy Pete just, you know, <laughs> wrote all the checks on. And it's just basically his first ride in his own car. And here it is raining, idling. He's hoping it's not overheating. And I know we're about to run out of gas, right? So we make this little U-turn, and we're coming across the front of the convention center, and we're coming up to your stage, Joe, and you've got a microphone, and you come down, and you go, and here's Kevin Oste in this Camaro. Kevin, tell us about it. And I'm like, uh, I think I'm about to run out of gas. So I, I didn't... <laughs> you didn't steal didn't the mic time, huh? 
I didn't intentionally blow you off, but I knew we had to get this thing moving. So we end up making the, the loop, turning right, going to the, the Hilton parking lot where Kelly was in the truck with the trailer, and we the thing died as we got it into the trailer. So it was oh really goodness. timing close. But that, that was Look, over, over the years, Kev, I've seen Chip's cars have issues, whether it's gas flow or you know, I've seen Ring Brothers' cars thaw. I, you know, so many of these cars the are just about done for the show having a chance to been totally troubleshooted but that's part of the fun too you know it is it is all right mikey your question all right boys i asked you what year the krager ss wheel first hit mm. the market and joe you answered 1962 and kevin answered 1966 and fellas we're gonna split that right down the middle and give you a 1964 ah. for the krager ss I could so, take that. Very good yeah. guesses on both your parts. You won, Joe, because I went over. Uh, we're all winners, Kevin. Come on. Uh, I would like to think so. Uh, hold on. My lovely wife just hit the garage door opener, so we're going to have to <laughs> just give me one sec until the noise ends. and then. Uh, sure. And a diesel truck. Can you hear that, Mike? I do hear it, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just coming back from the grocery store. Okay, so that's shut down. Yeah, shut the door before uh, some some uh, Campbell Trophy adoring fans look for more autographs from Peter. Right, <laughs> yeah, right exactly. Okay, so um, so that Joe, you won that one. Uh, oh, and man. my question was: uh, in 1993, Sport Truck Magazine gave away a customized Chevy C1500 themed after a famous rock and roller. Who is the musician and who built the truck? Joe said it was Eddie Van Halen, and it was built by Beltec. Mike didn't want to use the same answer, so he said David Lee Roth, Diamond Dave, and it was built by Hot Rods by Boyd. Well, you know what? You're both right, because it was Eddie Van Halen's truck, and it was built by Boyd. Get out of here. There you go. So there and you Kevin, go. Kevin, uh, I Joe, have... we make a great team. <laughs> sure yeah. we do. Uh, I'm not your jet. Uh, Kevin, I have uh, the original cardboard uh, you know these small little rectangles that they give you, like if you rent a car, like it's like a little identification, you know, make model year. Yeah, um, yeah. I have one that is um, made out of the same red and white striped uh, diagram that they used on that truck. I've got the the, the key fob for it, and I, I'm not sure if at the time Hoyt Vandenberg, who unfortunately lost, or if it was Barry Dennison, or one of those sport truck. Kevin Wilson guys, I'm one of them that was, maybe it was Alan Huber, the art director, but they made one. And um, when I drove the car, cause I, I was, I became the publisher after the following year and got to drive that truck for like a month. And when I had to turn it in, I just kept the keychain. So I still have it. <laughs> That's cool. Well, that yeah. truck was really cool and it ended up being a giveaway truck, right? Through Sport Truck Magazine. I think they gave it away. Yeah. And, um, you know, some folks, because those were all cosmetically enhanced. None of them really had any modifications. Even when we lowered them, we had to put them back to stock when we delivered them. So a lot of them, unfortunately, never stayed with who won them. They ended up on some, I don't know, what is it, the green sheet back in the day or the recycler back the in the day? recycler, so, yeah. Uh, often, you know, we would give away these Dodge Rams with, uh, you know, they're slammed and lowered and everything else, matching jet skis and like a 16-year-old woman in Indiana would win it, and she couldn't afford to pay the tax on it. Ended up on, you know, the green sheet for twelve dollars. So <laughs> yeah. that, that could be, that could be a, a talk show a segment on its own, Kevin. Whatever happened to the giveaways? And well, I'll me, tell you what, that particular one ended up going through. I think Barrett Jackson recently, and uh, and it did pretty well. So it's a fun yeah, truck. Don't doubt and, it. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, gentlemen, this has been uh, a lot of fun. Again, uh, thanks, Joe Sebergandio, for joining us. 
Uh, check out the Aftermarket Insider and uh, also check out Joe's Mini Bike Reunion if you're into that stuff. And even if you're not, it's a lot of fun. And uh, Mike, always, it's a, it's a pleasure to, oh, it's uh, to do great. this stuff. And you can Thank listen you guys. to VA Radio. Yeah, no, no, it's our pleasure. You can listen to VA Radio wherever you find your podcast, and you know that because you just heard it. And I, I don't know why I always do it at the end, but that's just what I do. Uh, and for uh, for all of us here at VA Radio, keep the shiny side up, and we will talk to you next time on VA Radio. <laughs>